Welcome to Rocket Ship, the podcast where web developers learn the skills and secrets to ship awesome mobile guests uh, apps. I'm Simon Grimm, creator of Galaxies.dev, and super excited because we finally have Mark Rosavi on the podcast. Mark, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for this. Yeah, we, we tried to get an appointment for uh, like weeks or months in advance, and I, you've been I working on, on yeah, you've yeah. been working on Vision Camera Three. Um, so that's a big part of what we're going to talk about. Uh, quick TLDR about you. You're the creator of some really epic React Native packages. I, I think I won't count them all. Uh, I just found two additional ones, but the biggest are probably React Native Vision Camera, uh, React Native MMKV, uh, and then there are some, some other packages like Graph or Big Numbers. We can probably touch that later. And next to that, uh, you're also the CEO of a company called Magello, which is an elite app development agency with, I think, 12 employees. Um, yeah, we're a team of 12 people, yeah. Yeah, and, and by the way, you're only 23. So uh, congrats on all the accomplishments you have done in your life and for the community. Um, and Thank you. I think I think we actually had the same dream of becoming a, a game developer when we were younger. I, I heard you say that. Yeah, I, I I did. I watched a lot of like game development blogs and everything. So I yeah, I had the dream at one point. <laughs> so, so why why did we end up here and not in game development? I don't know why. Why did did you ever change your mind, or did you try to get into game development? I, I think people quickly told me that game development won't really pay well, and you have to work like. 80 hours mm. per week or something? I don't know, what, what scared you away? Um, I don't know, It's not, it wasn't really the pay, I think, um, because it was never really about the pay for me in development, but I, I think it was just way too steep to get into like you know design and everything, because at that point I wasn't really good at, at design and mm. you know, drawing models and, and um, you know, textures and everything. Um, so I did do a little bit of um, OpenGL uh, a mm -hmm. long time ago and then that was too complicated for me because it was like you know I think 16 17 or something I was like fucking no I can't do this um, <laughs> and and then I tried to get into unity um, and mm -hmm. unity was I don't know it felt boring for me to be honest it was just okay. just this big you know suite um, of like uh, you know a, a ton of tools and a ton of uh, things you can do there but it wasn't really clear what I was going to do so I did like a one I don't know what it was like a tactical maze type of style game and then that's it i dropped it there and did you like after the unity experience went straight into react native or did you uh, start with something else in between um so i think at the time i was working in a um you know more corporate style company um using c sharp and writing some business applications like i don't know mail filters or something like that you know just boring ass stuff so, so um, much fun yeah so much fun but it was you know it was it was a part-time job next to school and i was um kind of skipping school to work uh because I, i thought it was kind of fun kind of boring uh but at some points you know i had a really cool boss there so he's a shout out to marcus um so he was a really cool really cool guy and yeah at, at some point i was just bored of c sharp and um wanted to try something different at that point i was a paramedic Uh, as my main job mm -hmm. for like you know just a civil service year you have to do um and i yeah then i basically decided to get into app development because i always wanted to build apps mobile apps um and i s actually started with a camera app but native ios so i bu built a ui kit swift app um that failed so i didn't really know how to work with cameras back then <laughs> um it, yeah it was just way too early for ar stuff um 
And yeah, I think then I was like, okay, I want to build something cross-platform and maybe a bit easier than native iOS development. Um, so I Googled cross-platform frameworks and React Native was luckily number one in the specific blog post that I read compared what, to Flutter. What, what, what year was that? Like That was, oh, that was, um, I think 2018 or 19. Okay, yeah. So not so long ago. Um, yeah, and then I think 2019. So... Yeah, I read this blog post and React Native was number one there and Flutter was number two, I think. So I was like, oh, okay, let's try React Native. And now I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that definitely also explains your long-standing love for uh, camera applications. Yes. So that's <laughs> and also your background in, in C Sharp. Um, I think I never touched C Sharp. I actually did C++ when I was younger. Um, yeah, same. And, and you, you, you said like you, you didn't have the skills to for the UI development stuff. Me neither. But I built like a like a not a CLI game, but it rendered in this like console window, and uh, oh, uh, I built like, like a little ASCII. Pokemon game, so I could move. Yeah, ASCII game, right? And I yeah. could, like with my yeah. arrows, I could move. I built like little levels. Here's grass, there's stone, and, and oh, you had to fight nice. fight against Pokemon. And yeah, because <laughs> I pretty much just copy pasted code. I don't actually know. Was there like Stack Overflow back then? I, I can't remember. But basically, on every move of my player uh, ASCII art I had to redraw mm -hmm. the complete view so when you like were walking it was like redraw 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 the whole time it, it, it hurt my eyes a bit but uh, I was probably also 15 so I, I couldn't find a better way to handle that but yeah uh, it I was, was fun I, I, I was actually about to say like ASCII drawing gotta be like really slow right because <laughs> you know in OpenGL you can draw really fast but rendering re-rendering the entire console is that's just gotta be yeah. slow yeah <laughs> yeah but but like I was fine. I was happy about myself creating this little game. I, don't, I actually don't know why I did it, and I can't find it. That's, that's so sad. But it but sounds cool. You, it sounds fun. Yeah, it, it was definitely at that time, uh, and it got me started. So, um, so you, yeah, you got I in touch. Also did, I, I actually also did C++ before the uh, C Sharp part. So the first big project or the first open source project I did, um, or the first bigger open source project I did, was actually a C++ um, neural network implementation. So that was one thing that was like technically challenging for me and technically interesting. And I, you know, spent a lot of like many weeks on building this thing because it was like really tricky to do with just pure C++ without TensorFlow mm -hmm. or anything. Um, but yeah, eventually I actually, um, you know, published that to GitHub. Uh, so that's a really, really cool library. So in, in 2019 or something, you is it like you got the first time in touch with React Native in about 2019? And four years mm -hmm. later, you have a successful agency? That is like a very, very steep career. How, how did that like the, the, the whole agency thing got started? And, and how did you get like the first epic project? Because I've seen some of your stories and they really like, you got to check this out. I'm going to put this in the show notes. Uh, Magello has developed some really epic uh, apps. Like, like how did all of this start? Um, yeah, I mean, thank you. <laughs> um, it was, I don't know. It, so I think the benefit we had, or at least me and my team, um, is that we all kind of come from a native background. Um, so many of our teammates like have C++ experience or native iOS, like Swift or Objective-C experience or Java uh, for Android. And kind of understanding your abstraction makes using the abstraction easier, right? So if you understand how React Native works, you have a, a way better time, you know, using React Native. Um, so I guess that's why we were so good or are so good at using uh, React Native. Um, and 
we just kind of built a network there, you know. I published a lot of stuff about my camera, about the React Native MMKV library. Then I did the graph thing with uh, Skia. And you kind of, the cool thing about React Native is that you know everybody in this space, right? So you're like good friends with, I don't know, like William Candelan or, uh, I don't know, Christian Falk or some other amazing people, you know? Um, so you're just, you, you, you kind of know them, you, you know, reach out to them from time to time. Um, and yeah, there's just, you know, with a big network, there comes, you know, great um, opportunities, I would say. It's really fascinating to me. So, as I said before recording, my background is in Capacitor, Cordova, Ionic, um, cross-platform development, which is compared to React Native a lot smaller. But it, it's so strange. Like when I got into React Native land and um, now I had a podcast with a few people, it feels like everyone knows everyone. Like I talked to Catalin mm -hmm. Miron and he knows uh, this person and that and everyone's... Uh, recommending Fernando Rojo and, and then I talk yeah. with uh, Nate from Tamagui and like everyone mm -hmm. like it it's a big community but at the same time also very small right yeah it feels like a I don't know like a family almost um, everybody knows each other yeah yeah it's it's definitely a very welcoming place so for everyone uh, who wants to get into it I can highly recommend it <laughs> is, is, is that not the case with the Ionic community um, it's, it's a very welcoming community as well, but it's a smaller community. So mm -hmm. there's at the moment not that like not that much going on compared to React Native. If, if you look on, on social media, the only thing you're going to see is Flutter versus React Native. And, and nobody's yeah. talking about Capacitor. I'm, I mean, I, I have a tweet deck or something open, so I monitor Capacitor as well. Um, and people start noticing it. I don't know if it will take off in a few years because it's still very fresh. Um, but yeah, capacitor. In my eyes, it's a bit better way to have like a hundred percent code reuse. So you can basically build a web application, drop in capacitor, and then it can wrap your app into a native container, and you can still access native uh, camera stuff. Because uh, camera is the <laughs> most important thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, but React Native has some advantages. Capacitor has some advantages. And, I don't know. Nobody will win. I think all will just coexist. And Flutter is also like good for something. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Have I you done some Flutter? I I uh, wanted to do some Flutter. Yes. Um, I I don't know. I found Flutter apps to be poorer in quality because you're just not using the native UIKit views. But in a case where you don't want to use the native UIKit views, for example, I don't know. You have a very opinionated or very um, I guess out of the um, out of out of the tree um, UI system. For example, the my BMW app um, they use Flutter, I think. So in in this case, it makes sense because you're not using any UI uh, like native UI components, but instead you have your own like BMW style components, and it's all it all looks like the car infotainment, but on your phone. So I guess in this case, it kind of makes sense. You can still feel that the scroll views are a bit janky, and it doesn't feel like the native iOS. Uh, scroll views, but it it all looks like the BMW app, and you have like I think 100% platform code share usage. I mean, you theoretically also have that in React Native, but I think there's just <laughs> more differences because of the two separate implementations, right? Two separate UI systems. Yeah, whereas in Flutter you have one. Yeah. I think uh, Theo, the popular streamer, recently uh, also talked about Flutter, and he said like there's a very small gap somewhere where Flutter apps fit in. Like you got Unity for games, and you got React Native for everything else, and then you got like a very tiny niche where, where Flutter makes sense. I, I mean, 
he he's very famous for not liking flutter <laughs> so take mm-hmm. the, the grain of salt but um yeah i, I don't know I, I think react native it it just makes sense in a lot of cases as the the web world was just gravitating towards react and I come from an Angular background, so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm still a bit sad that Angular did not win because Angular is, is also very beautiful. It's actually coming back this year. Uh, have you have you tried Angular in the latest Angular versions? It's making no. a comeback. Why, what, did they have any new like groundbreaking features or? Yeah, they they're also adopting signals and they're adopting. Mm. Uh, oh yeah, I heard about that. The, yeah, the, the, the latest stuff like. Um, it's making progress while React is just talking about React server components, I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like they, I don't know. It feels like the whole community has been talking about it for, for months or years now. Um, and meanwhile, I, I don't really see a huge benefit in, in React server components if I want to do native mobile apps. Um, or am I missing something here? Yeah, no, I think, I think that's you know, not for, for mobile apps. Um, but I think one exciting React feature that um, not a lot of people are talking about right now is um, React Forget. You know, the, the um, I guess, compiler or optimizer from Facebook Labs or Facebook Experimental that they actually, um, I guess, teased a while ago. At I don't remember where it was. I think it was a, either a conference or just a tweet or something. Um, but it's a really interesting theory where you don't need to memoize anything anymore, right? You don't need to use, use memo or React memo. Um, because everything is just, I guess, optimized by the compiler to, you know, <laughs> check for identity equality or re- versus reference equality on, you know, some object changes or array changes. Um, I'm not sure if there's, I don't think there's a working or a public version right now, um, but it seems like this, you know, this could really be interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, I never heard about it, but I just looked it up and they talked about it at ReactCon 2021. There's a video, React Without Memo. Um, mm-hmm. That would actually be something really good for me because I still don't completely get how you use Memo and use callback work. And if I should use it sometimes or if I should not use it. Um, I mean, you're the, the performance guy. How can I, um, in the best way, measure the difference? Like if I, if I create a blank Expo application and I drop in some stuff, and I want to compare if this would work better with use memo. What's the right way to debug that or see like the FPS or what's what's the way to to actually check if I made progress on my code? Mm, so there's multiple ways to, to profile performance. Um, there's first of all like the three. I, I I guess you can say three um, major components to performance measuring. One is CPU, which is like I don't know CPU usage or I guess time it takes for a specific function or for rendering or blah, blah, blah. Then there's RAM to uh, measure how efficient, you know, your your memory usage is and if you have any memory leaks. And then there's like GPU usage if you do some, some I don't know, rendering, camera stuff, skia stuff uh, to just kind of measure, you know, are you efficiently uploading stuff to the GPU, blah, blah, blah. But that's more advanced. Um, so for CPU stuff, I think you can use stuff like React, um, why did you render? That's a, like a plugin for React uh, or for, I don't know, I think there's a flip plugin for that, but it's a plugin for React, which you can use um, to print to the console why a component just re-rendered. Um, that's how you can like actually profile re-renders on the go. Um, and to actually measure time it takes for a function to render or to submit to the to the React DOM or React uh, tree or whatever, or to create the shadow nodes, um, you need to create a flame graph profile in from your JS code. Um, I think there's a Chrome plugin and a Flipper plugin for that. So you can record a flame graph, do your action, like, I don't know, open a separate screen, which is feels slow, 
and then stop recording the flame graph and then you can take a look at the flame graph itself zoom in zoom out and see which functions are actually slow and which which functions are fast um, so that's something we do at Marjula as well uh, we do lots of performance optimizations for clients and often it's like really simple stuff um, like you know making sure something is memoized properly something is efficiently calculated we don't have uh, any unnecessary use state sometimes people use use state when they should have used use ref um, and most of or often it's also some really complex stuff like I don't know a crypto app um, uses some encryption algorithms and we need to move those either to C++ code to a Rust library um, make them asynchronous or run them in a web browser or whatever uh, just just so that they don't you know that they're not as slow as they are currently in JavaScript mm. for example um, so yeah we do lots of advanced stuff there as well you know we sometimes even need GPU profiling to make sure something's rendering really fast and it often goes into into you know like it's it's into much detail I guess yeah I guess um, that's yeah. definitely something I, I need to improve I mean the, the expo team is also working on improving debugging so I hope it will mm -hmm. be easier for for people like me in the future. But I want to bring this back to your epic packages, um, of which let's let's start with with probably I, I mean this is I think the first package you actually used, uh, which is MMKV. Um, could you describe quickly what MMKV is and and why I need it? Um, MMKV is the perfect solution for your React Native app if you need to quickly cache some values, um, such as probably user defaults um, or like settings or configurations or an auth token something like that um, so just small values that just need to either you, you write a lot of times or you need to retrieve really really fast and that's why mmkv is synchronous so you can actually you don't need to do a wait or need to like have a loading state or something because you can just quickly get it it is an in-memory database um, that's what mmkv stands for memory map key value um, oh, finally, someone tells me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a really fast user defaults storage. You should not use it for storing lots of data. So you should not use it for, I don't know, a huge user database or like lots of like image binary cache or something like that. That's just going to explode your RAM usage because it is an in-memory key value storage. Um, so yeah, and it uses yeah. JSI with a C++ implementation. So it's really fast. Yeah, your documentation say it's based on Tencent MMKB. I think this yes. is uh, what's the app behind this? I forgot it. Um, uh, I don't know where they uh, WeChat. WeChat. It's called WeChat. Right, yeah. WeChat. Right. Yeah. So they developed it, and and you somehow I made it work for bindings. React Native. Yes, I wrote yeah. the JSI bindings for it, um, and it's all C plus plus, so it doesn't use the Java library or um, the I don't know JavaScript representative or whatever. It's just a C plus plus library. Um, exposed through JSI with synchronous bindings and as little overhead as possible. Yeah, I found it to be really easy usable. Um, I used it in one of my streams, especially, I mean, it comes with hooks. Um, and mm -hmm. so I could also just initialize my state with the values and that just like, wow, it just felt amazing instead of like doing uh, await, async storage, get item, <laughs> something. Um, Thank you. <laughs> just yeah. immediately getting the value. It, uh, and you have this comparison also on, on the GitHub page. Um, it's faster than, I mean, it makes sense. It, it just has to be the fastest option. The second one is actually, I think, WatermelonDB. Yeah, um, they're also amazingly fast. But WatermelonDB is more focused on like storing more stuff. You know, it's just, it, MMKV fits a very specific uh, niche where you just have small amounts of data that are either get or set really, really often or really fast. And, and looking at that graph, 
is there actually an argument to be made for async storage? Like, uh, it's in terms of performance, it looks like async storage is really, really bad, and we have either for a lot of data, SQLite, watermelon, whatever, or for small chunks of data, MMKV. But why should we use async storage then? Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say MM no. async storage is not used for anything. I'm sure there's a there's a use case for it, but if you I guess if you if you don't want to install two separate libraries, then you can just have async storage as a good hybrid middle ground for for both. Um, but yeah, for quick data, use MMKV, and for lots of data, use Quick SQLite, which is also a library by us now, um, oh, or nice. WatermelonDB. Yeah, makes sense. Um, and also, MMKV can easily be used with state management. I used it in a stream as Zustand. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know. I think does it work with other state libraries as well? Yeah. Um, it works with, let me just quickly pull up, uh, because I don't remember, <laughs> quickly pull up the, the readme here. Um, it works with Redux Persist, Recoil, Mob, MobX Persist Storage, MobX Persist, Zustand, Yotai, and Rack Query. Yeah, with every popular, I, I assume so, because, yeah, yeah. Uh, the one common thing about all your open source stuff seems to be it's really well documented and it has a very clean API. I think you're putting a lot of effort into uh, getting that right. So, again, thank you for, for all you've done for the community. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I love API design. I think that's uh, really cool to, to kind of abstract very complex things away into just, you know, very short and uh, precise JS APIs. Yeah, I, wa I watched a chunk of your uh, previous live stream you had a few days ago before this recording mm -hmm. uh, where you implemented the barcode scanner feature mm -hmm. for <clears throat> the camera. Uh, mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, yeah, he's he's really structured about what he's doing. And um, I, I usually just went straight into it. I think you probably had a better plan on, on what you want to accomplish. Uh, but I'm usually not that structured as, as you are. <laughs> um yeah, I mean, it has, a, a, you know, I probably just have a lot of context because I developed the library. Um, so I maybe have a, like a mental mind map or something of the like structure, how I want it to be exposed. Um, and then also like, you know, obviously you need to consider things like usability, flexibility, um, lean core, especially, you know, I don't want to introduce like a ton of new changes into vision camera to just make the development slower. I just want it to be very flexible and very lean, but extensible. And then also, you know, powerful and fast. So performance needs to be uh, a primary concern as well. I don't want to build on some technology that's slow. I want, you know, the, to be as little overhead as possible. Right. And, and we have now uh, dropped vision camera uh, a few times <laughs> during the stream. It's finally time to get into this. So I have <laughs> Let's used... Go. I have used Expo Camera and I have captured images and I've taken images from the library. Why mm -hmm. should Simon actually use Vision Camera instead? So Simon should use the Vision Camera because, um, well, okay, there's, I think there's one argument to not use Vision Camera uh, and that would be if you're in an Expo Go app um, and you just want to use the default camera that's available because you can't use any third-party native modules. Uh, if you are not in an Expo Go app, you might, I think there's like four options. There's React Native Camera, which is deprecated now, so kind of not an option. Mm -hmm. There's React Native Camera Kit, which is uh, originally by, was it, who was it originally? Was it Wix? I think Wix, and then now it's Tesla. Um, then there's Expo Camera by the Expo team, and React Native Vision Camera. So React Native Vision Camera is uh, 
the deal with vision camera is I have a lot of features and it's really fast and you have a ton of flexibility with the camera. So I think it's faster than a lot of cameras and has more features than a lot of cameras. But since it's just me maintaining the camera, I often don't really um, make sure it works on like the previous 10 React Native versions. So most of the time you you know, there might be like right now we have React Native 0.70, what is it? Three? Three. Released? Yeah. So Vision Camera probably won't work on 0.69 because I just don't want to maintain like com backwards compatibility for five versions or four versions um, because that just slows down development, right? I can't just always focus yes. on build issues. I need to focus on improving performance, fixing other bugs, making, you know, adding new features, blah, blah, blah. So if you're somewhat up to date with React Native versions, I think it's fine to use React Native Vision Camera, or it's a good idea to use React Native Vision Camera, uh, again, because many features, fast and everything. Uh, but if you're on an old React Native version, you might want to use something you know that's compatible. Um, otherwise, you probably encounter some build errors or something that you need to fix yourself. I mean, what you said in the beginning that I can't use it with Expo Go, uh, just want to make clear, I can still use it with Expo if I just make a yes. pre-build or a dev client build. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I think um, if I have a use case where I want to develop an application with camera usage and with anything beyond just capturing or selecting an image, I think I need a different package because the, the basic camera package only offers like take a photo or capture an image and maybe do like a little resizing or editing. But so many times people say, hey, I want to like put another button on the camera interface or, or anything like that. And I think none of that is possible with the other packages. And uh, from, from what I hear, that should be easily possible with React Native Vision Camera. Yeah, so I think there's a core you know, concept differentiation here. Um, like there's a camera component, which you can use to render a camera inside your app, which is just a camera preview, and then anything else you just render on top of it. So it's just a normal view. You need to add a take photo button yourself because you need to call the take photo method yourself. Um, yeah, that's, so that's a camera component like React Native Camera, React Native Camera Kit, React Native Vision Camera, and Expo Camera. And then there's a camera picker, which is just the iOS or Android default model picker, which opens up and you can select a photo from your gallery or take a picture. And to take a picture function is, I think, an operating system default like iOS or Android default camera view, which just doesn't have any options other than taking a picture. Um, so this is not what cam vision camera is. Vision camera is camera inside your app. Um, and I think for every app, you probably want a camera inside your app, unless you don't really have time to develop it because it's just a way better user experience to have something inside your app instead of opening a picker model um, with way less features. It's also a bit slower, obviously, because it needs to slide up first and everything. So. Um, yeah, and then, um, or sorry, do you want to add anything? Yeah, on that? so so, uh, so it's it's basically um, not just like from a mental model, not just a thing to pick an image, but it's actually like a stream of a video. I think on iOS, when I was an iOS developer back like a few years ago, is it like an AV capture session or something mm -hmm. going on in the background? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so so it's basically rendering what your camera sees, and then you can you can put all sorts of cool stuff on top of it. Uh, yes, exactly. So you you have um, compared. Okay, for <laughs> let's take a step back here. React Native uh, <laughs> React Native Camera Kit, for example, as an as, as a current non-deprecated alternative to Vision Camera, does not support uh, video capture, and they don't support like frame processing. 
and I don't think they support um, like exact device selection. Like for example, I'm, I'm not sure if you can select an ultra wide angle or like a triple camera on your, which is a virtual camera on your phone, so that you can smoothly zoom between, you know, the wide angle or the fish eye. I don't. I don't think so. You don't think they have that, or you think they have I, that? I, I I don't think that they have that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if they have that, but that's also something that Vision Camera has. So Vision Camera has photo video capture. You know, you can take a photo um, with some options like, I don't know, which photo um, codec you want to use, uh, which file extension, which uh, quality, like from 0 to 100. Um, then you can also enable depth capture so that it also, you know, with according like with the RGB photo, you can also have depth data for portray effects, for example, to only focus my face and the background is blurred. Um, then you have video capture as a second feature, uh, which is like a recording session uh, on both iOS and Android. It's a fully custom recording session. Uh, so on Android, I use a custom OpenGL C++ pipeline for this instead of just a default recorder. Uh, and on iOS, I have a custom AV capture video data output delegate, <laughs> long name. <laughs> um, uh, just so for, for one specific feature, which is uh, changing the device while you're recording. Uh, this is something that you don't normally have unless you create your own custom capture session. And that's really, really complex. So while recording, uh, for example, on Instagram and Snapchat, you have that. While recording, you can flip the camera from back to front right. and it still continues the recording properly. It still captures audio properly. It uh, still has a correct orientation and buffer size because the back camera might be 4K and the front camera might be right. 1080p. It still scales properly. Um, oh, nice. So that's one thing that's really, really complex to do, uh, especially on Android. Um, oh, yeah. And yeah, so that's something that Vision Camera has just out of the box. You know, you don't need to do anything. You just by the like by API design, you just pass a new device and the recording still continues. Um, then since uh, last week, Vision Camera also has a QR <laughs> or barcode scanner, which, you know, you saw in the stream. <laughs> um, and thanks for everyone who watched the stream. Um, yeah, QR barcode scanner, which is the native platform barcode scanning APIs. Um, and then on top of a barcode scanner, or at least separately to a barcode scanner, it also has a frame processing API, um, which is a bit complex. I think we should talk about this in like after I mentioned all the other features. Um, so frame processors. Then you also have custom device selection. So if I have like an iPhone, I have an iPhone 4, uh, 15 now. Um, you have three cameras on the back and. On this phone, you have actually five back cameras because you have three physical cameras you can select from. You can select this one, this one, this one. And you can also select the uh, dual camera, which is combined uh, of these two, and the triple camera, which is combined of all three cameras. Uh, so combining cameras means you can zoom in and out of the uh, uh, between the cameras. So if I zoom to 1x zoom, which is the default, I'm just at the normal wide-angle camera. And if I zoom out to 0.5x, I'm at a you know, fish-eye ultra-wide-angle camera. Um, so vision camera just natively supports that by using a like device API where you can easily select any device you want also using hooks. Um, then I'm not done. Uh, then we have a <laughs> formats API, uh, where you can select because each camera device has a list of available formats. For example, um, the back camera can select or can record in 4k, 1080p, you know, 720p, 480p, all other different sizes. Uh, and for each size, there's a different FPS range. So you can record, for example, in 4K, you can record up to 60 FPS. In 1080p, you can record up to 240 FPS. So those are all formats on a camera. And you can select those as well with a nice hook-based filtering API. 
where you just kind of describe your use case. So you just use the use camera devices, uh, sorry, use camera format hook. And then you just say video resolution max FPS 60. That's your target. And then you get a format that is actually filtered properly. Um, so I said it just now, yes, you can customize resolution. You can record in 4K, 5K, whatever. And you can customize the FPS. You can record in 240 FPS in vision camera. Um, then we have... Yeah, it's just optimized for performance. You can just easily, you know, pause and resume as quickly as possible. Uh, you have HDR and night modes. And in V3, I actually worked on a Skia integration as well, so that inside of a frame processor, which I'm going to explain in a second, mm -hmm. you could also draw stuff like, I don't know, maybe filters like a sepia filter or draw, I don't know, a box around my face. And it's just perfectly synced with the preview. So the box is always there. Um, plus it's... Um, part of the recording. So if I record something, the box is in the recording. Oh. Um, I did a prototype for that. It worked on both iOS and Android. I had uh, an orientation issue on Android and I had I just didn't record it to a file on iOS. And ultimately I decided to just scrap all of that and remove it to a separate branch or separate fork. I'm still thinking about that because it just overcomplicated the library a lot. And this is one of the most important things to me that Vision Camera is a lean core. Uh, so that people who install it don't encounter like, you know, if you if you just want to use vision camera for photo capture, just a very simple use case, <laughs> you don't want it to fail to build because Skia is not working <laughs> or something. You know, that's not something that you want to do. So yeah. it should be very lean and very simple from the base, but extensible that it's, you know, that you can basically do anything with it. Yeah, this is uh, just hearing you talk about uh, all these features makes me want to build an application with it because I'm looking at the preview on GitHub with like a cat and the screen and you have some buttons rendered on top of it and um, I sometimes have this case where I just want to build something because the library or the component looks so great and, and this is definitely <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to make a stream about this because I, I will implement something fun with it. Also, with your latest edition of the QR code scanner, you, you just basically made all the other barcode scanners like obsolete <laughs> uh, because you Maybe. have to be the fastest <laughs> scanner. Like yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, I just made the other <laughs> barcode scanners kind of obsolete, but not like fully obsolete because the other barcode scanners um, have stuff that this barcode scanner doesn't do. For example, maybe they have some native parsing going on where you can in, like instantly parse a, I don't know, credit card or something and get mm. the details parsed from native directly into JavaScript. Or that's also something that's possible in frame processors. Um, they just use a different library, right? For example, on Android, I use MLKit right now. Maybe they use the Zebra Crossing library uh, mm -hmm. or some other native libraries. So, you know, frame processors. This is actually a good point to talk about frame processors now. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Okay, so frame processors are function because, okay, if you take a look at a camera, um, I, I, you know, I, I always use Snapchat or Instagram as a good example. Um, and you move your camera, you know, you, you have this preview view, which is just, you know, showing you what the camera sees, right? That's how cameras yes. work. You, you get a feed of images from the native camera and the image itself, it's, it always displays the latest image that's received from the hardware sensor. Um, the hardware sensor is a camera device. So if you have like, I don't know, a camera running at 30 FPS, you receive 30 images in, let's say 4K, 4K resolution uh, per second. Uh, so that's a lot of 30, thir yeah, thir 30 times 4K images is I think 1.5 megabytes per second <laughs> moving through your GPU. Um, so after just like, you, you know, it doesn't take long until you have a gigabyte of data streaming through. Um, so 
what you need to do uh, to, to make that as efficient as possible is to use the GPU and you receive a, the, there, there is a way to get the, um, I guess, a reference to the image buffer um, each time that your camera sees a new image buffer. So let's stick with that example. 30 FPS times, you know, or, or 30, 30 times a second, you receive a new 4K image. I look at a cat and I want to be able to, I don't know, detect cats. Let's say that's my, that's my app, right? I want to detect a cat in image. So what you need to do in this case, you need to receive the latest image from the camera and somehow get CPU access to that frame because normally it would just be on a GPU, right? Because it needs to be fast. So you need to get CPU access to that frame which holds the cat in it. And then I need to run some kind of like algorithm, let's say a TensorFlow um, algorithm that are pre-trained or that are found in the internet um, to detect and classify the image and see if there's a cat inside. This is like TensorFlow normally works with, you know, static images. So you have one image, like a cat, like a photo of a cat.png or JPEG, and you just run your algorithm and it says, oh, there's a cat at like, I don't know, X 120 mm. and Y, I don't know, 700 coordinate, you know? Um, to run this in real time, you need to be really, really fast. So what you need to do is you need to get a hold of this image. Um, and this is what frame processors are actually for. Um, inside a frame processor, think about it like just a simple function that you have. It doesn't matter which environment we're in. If we're in native in C++ or in JavaScript, you have a simple function that gets called for every new frame. And as a parameter, you have the frame. Um, the parameter, the frame is only valid for the time of the function, you know? So if the function mm -hmm. returns, the, a new frame might already come in. So the f previous frame is no longer valid. You know, we can't just stack up 1.5 megabytes in memory all the time. Something is <laughs> going to explode. Yeah. So the previous frame is going to be deleted and the new frame is going to place on top and your function is going to be called again. So 30 times a second, you receive a new frame and you can theoretically access the pixels in that frame. So you can do, for example, frame dot, I don't know, get pixels. Um, and then get the pixel at zero, zero coordinate, so the top left pixel, uh, and read that. So the way those TensorFlow libraries work is you convert the frame into a byte array and then just run the, the model on the byte array. Mm. Um, sometimes you need to resize the frame because we don't want to run it on a 4K frame. Uh, you resize it very, very small. So like 480p or even smaller, like, I don't know, 300 by 300. So that's usually the way you do that in a native app. Um, you resize the frame, you have this callback, uh, you run the TensorFlow model, and then you have your information. Is there a cat inside the frame or not? Um, and frame processors, I just talked, like, it, it all makes sense in a second. Frame processors <laughs> are simple JavaScript functions that use the same technology that I used in React Native MMKV, right? So they use JSI, which is the simple binding from JavaScript to C++, um, which is fully synchronous. So it is fully synchronous. You receive, like, when I receive the frame on my native side in C++, um, I call the JavaScript frame processor and you have access to the frame in JavaScript. Um, so that's a 1.5 megabyte frame you can directly access from JavaScript, which is quite impressive because it's, you know, it's not copying anything over. It's just giving you a reference to the fully native C++ frame. And you can do stuff like, I don't know, frame.width um, or frame.height or something like that. Um, there's some examples on the on the Vision Camera website of a frame processor. Uh, so you can do frame.width, frame.height, and I don't know, do like a console.log. You know, you're in JavaScript now, so you can do anything you want in JavaScript. Um, you do a console.log of frame.width, and then 30 times a second, you're going to log, I don't know, 4K, for example, like 4096, I think. Um, so now that you have a frame in JavaScript, you need to somehow call your TensorFlow model in JavaScript. And the way that works is either you pull a community plugin 
you know, some kind of frame processor community plugin, or you run a JavaScript model. But, you know, JavaScript models are not really fast, uh, mm. so you want to use a community plugin or write your custom plugin, which is just, that's the only time you have to ever touch native code if you want to do this. A, a simple function called a frame processor plugin. And this function can be called from JavaScript again. So inside your frame processor, inside your JavaScript frame processor, instead of console.logging the frame.with, you just do like my native cat detector plugin, you know, bracket open, fr frame, bracket closed. And then the my native cat detector, whatever I just called it, is a native native function written in Objective-C for iOS or Swift um, and Java or Kotlin for Android. And you just, that's the only time you write native code. So this is like a simple function where you use the native TensorFlow library. Uh, it needs to be native because you want it to be fast, right? You can also do it in JavaScript using like JS libraries, but it's going to be slow. Um, so on a native side, you can use GPU acceleration and everything. It's for most cases, probably just like 10 to 20 lines of native code you need to write. And then you have a fully, you know, a completely like a really powerful real time cat detector. You don't need to write any camera code and you don't need to worry about memory or anything at all. You just have this simple frame processor plugin that runs on every frame. This is, this Lots is, of information. Uh, yeah, a lot of information. Um, and it's also mind-blowing how smooth the experience actually is. Like, uh, we, we still need to remember we're in a cross-platform environment, uh, what, what React Native is. Um, but what's possible here is, like, really mind-blowing. And uh, once again, I had some, some ideas while I talked about this. And just, <laughs> just, just this, like, having the power to receive the stream of video you capture and then just, like, yeah, the sky's the limit. You can do whatever. You can just draw like a, a black box somewhere on the screen because you don't want to show that area. Like I was thinking about right. security cameras. Um, yeah, or blur, you know, blur faces, for example, you can run a blur uh, overlay. Right, yeah. Or, or draw something on the face like in, in all popular Instagram or Snapchat or uh, whatever. TikTok videos where you have like something on your head. Um, yeah. All of that should be should be possible, and all of that is possible. And um, I saw you also created just did it, was it, I don't know if you created this recently the React Native Fast TF Lite um, package. Does that fit into the picture of the the frame processing? Exactly. So the, so previously I mentioned um, you know if you want to write a, for example a cat detector you would need to install Vision Camera, write your JavaScript code, which is really simple, right? You don't need to worry about camera setup or like real time streaming. Um, you just need to install it in JavaScript and then write the simple native function to load a TensorFlow model. And some people don't want to touch native code at all, you know. <laughs> so I built React Native Fast TF Lite, which is a plugin for React Native and for Vision Camera. So it works in Vision Camera as well as in just bare React Native. Um, so you can actually load any kind of TF Lite model inside, which is inside your JavaScript bundle, right? You just drag, it, drag and drop it into your asset folder. It's a .tf Lite model. And you can just call that with the frame. So no native code at all. Um, the only thing you need to worry about is resizing the frame properly because that's not something uh, fast TF Lite should do and I, I don't think that's something that um, vision cameras should do. Maybe TF Lite should do it actually. Um, but you can, call it, you can call it essentially, you can, I don't know if you find a cat detector.tf Lite model, you just install vision camera, use vision camera, drag the TF Lite model into your asset folder, install React Native Fast TF Lite, and then load the model and call it. That's it, no native code at all. It uses GPU acceleration if possible. Um, it's a C++, again, JSI library. It's really, really fast, but you just need to make sure that you resize the frame properly. 
it, so is that's, it compl that's uh, complicated one. to resize the frame because you, you said it a few times now like it sounds like challenging if you if you say it a few times i assume it's not like three <laughs> lines of con convert frame equal to 400 times 400 <laughs> no so it's unfortunately it's not that easy if you want it to be fast um so if you want to resize a frame really fast I started writing also, I started writing a resize plugin for a vision I camera. I was expecting this. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's a vision, it's called vision camera resize plugin, but I didn't finish it yet. So it's just like the code is there for iOS, but it's not there for Android yet. Um, so the way you would resize it on native would be, or really efficiently resize it on native would be to use accelerate or V image, is it called? It's, uh, it's basically a CPU vector optimized resizing library similar to OpenCV, for example, um, where you just receive a frame or where you pass a frame to it. Uh, and then it if really, really fast uh, resizes the frame, um, you know, scales it down, creates a new buffer, blah, blah, blah. So you just need, or actually the buffer creation is on you. So you need to create a buffer in advance and then resize it into the buffer. So there's three steps to it, you know, buffer creation, resizing and cropping. Um, and yeah, that's, really fast so I, I managed to do that in i think two milliseconds from 4k to a 300 by 300 image which is really fast right three or two milliseconds or something like that is really really fast in debug um so that's really fast on ios but it's a lot of code um on android you would use OpenCV for that which is in c i think i'm not sure mm -hmm. if they have a java library um so that's also probably the same thing as on ios it's a little bit of you know code you need to write um, but it's possible to do it really fast. And then you can also, as a slow alternative, you can also do it in JS. And I have an example of that on my blog post, actually, the latest blog post, post detection using Vision Camera V3, um, where you just get, because you can, you actually, actually have access to the um, byte array buffer in JavaScript of the frame. And you can just use, like, you know, normal math or, like, I guess, for loops to just resize the buffer. It, this is also mm. possible. But it's obviously really slow because it's running in JavaScript. Uh, so I think the resize from a 4K frame to a 300 by 300 frame in JavaScript took like 16 milliseconds. I mean, mm, it is, okay. you know, you can still run at 30 FPS, which is quite impressive, right? Resizing in JavaScript at 30 FPS. Indeed. But it's, you know, I'd, I wouldn't do it. I would write a simple native plugin for that um, or, you know, wait for me until I <laughs> publish my resize plugin. Um, but yeah. Um. Yeah, I've seen that. The, do I always have to resize it? Or if I, uh, let's say, I want to draw the banana on the screen or just make, I don't know, a static area black, um, do I need to resize it for those use cases as well? Or is resizing only necessary if I want to, like, paste uh, uh, or put the frames to, like, the ML library? Uh, it's only for, for ML libraries. So it's, it depends on the ML library again. Uh, for example, if you use MLKit, you don't need to do any resizing at all. You just pass it to MLKit and MLKit under the hood, they probably do exactly what I just said. I'm not sure. Um, I think they do, they use, you know, Accelerate and OpenCV or have some custom resize code for it uh, because under the hood, they're also just using some trained models. Um, so in this case, you don't need to resize it. But for, if you're just using bare TensorFlow models, they expect a, a very specific buffer length and it, they expect you to just resize it exactly into the buffer length. So your it's it's your responsibility to sanitize the input in TensorFlow Lite. In some other ML libraries, you don't need to do that. And if you just want to draw something using the Skia integration that's not yet in Vision Camera, um, then you also don't need to resize anything because you know resizing is only for sanitizing input for for ML models. 
this is this is all uh, really really epic and um, I mean probably the most epic thing about all of this is that it all is free it's just free I can just use it on github and uh, you've probably spent like I don't know thousand hours on this uh, like you've be working uh, yeah more <laughs> yeah yeah um, and we can just use it completely for free like how's that how's that possible actually like wow. um i don't know i mean i just i i started work, working on vision camera when i was working for a startup um and then i just had a passion for it so it was really interesting to me um and that's why i made it open source and just continued to develop it i have a few sponsors on github so huge shout out to all my sponsors here on uh, if you support me on github i love you <laughs> um there's a few people, even like, you know, just just persons, not age, like companies uh, who are sponsoring me for like, I don't know, 20 or 50 uh, a month, which is, you know, motivating me to continue, um, you know, spending time on improving vision camera. And obviously I prioritize their issues over all other issues. Um, but yeah, I think in general, the reason why it's working, the reason why it's on open source uh, or on GitHub and for everyone to use is because there's some people who are really glad that I did it. Um, I also want to kind of show off here and just say, you know, I built this. It's pretty amazing. You can use it if you want. And I think it's just kind of cool to share that. Um, and I guess the the reason why I'm not, you know, open source is kind of always like a struggle for some people, right? So I think yeah. the reason or the, the way I made it work is I just simply ignore any issues that are not well written um, or people who expect like a huge change from me without any like payment or something. So if someone is going to create an issue and they're like, we need, I don't know, a cat detector plugin in vision camera, I'm going to say, no, that's not part of vision camera. I can create a separate plugin though. And they're like, yeah, you need to create a separate plugin. Then I'm like, you know, pay me uh, because I'm not just doing anything for free. <laughs> um, but yeah, if, if like some other people just have some bug reports, they're, they're like, you know, we use vision camera. It's, a, it's great. We sponsor, I don't know, 50 a month for the development and we have one bug report a month. Then I'm just going to focus on that and fix that for them, you know, as a kind of gratitude as well. Um, but yeah, you need to find a balance between, you know, what you prioritize and what not. You currently have 59 open issues. I think that's pretty good for for an open source library. I've seen other packages, community package with way more. So I think you're quite good with that. I had uh, 200 plus open issues a while ago. So I went through <laughs> every issue and tried to figure out, was it fixed already? Is it a stale issue? Did I fix it with the Vision Camera V3 rewrite, which is a huge change, by the way. So if you, tr if you only tried Vision Camera V2, you need to try Vision Camera V3. It's like an almost completely different thing. Um, so yeah, I closed a ton of issues. So now I'm down to 59. Um, there's, I think, two major bugs right now and one build error so on android for some reason it does not uh build on react native 0.70 um and i don't know i mean it's an older version but i still uh, i still want to fix that uh and then two bugs where some samsung devices don't or just show a black screen which sucks because it's only samsung and maybe some other weird phones um so it's just android camera apis that suck and then one other where i don't know there's a crash in certain scenarios um, but yeah, a majority are like, you know, some feature requests or some uh, edge case things. Overall, I would say it's pretty stable. Yeah, then that's good to know. And yeah, I will definitely use it. And um, we're running a bit out of time because I still want to touch two other topics quickly. So um, yeah, let's do before that. we wrap it up uh, on React Native Vision Camera, you, you are currently at version 3.30, I think, or 3.31. Yeah. Um, have you already plans for V4 or what are like the next 
like for the next, let's say, six months, the next steps for Vision Camera, uh, the next bigger things you want to implement? Um, I don't have any plans for V4. So V4, I don't know if there's anything really groundbreaking that you could add there. Maybe it's going to be the skier integration. Who knows? Maybe V4 mm. is going to allow you to draw back onto the frame, onto the recording and onto a photo in real time fully synchronously. Right now, that's not on the horizon. Right now, I just want to make sure Vision Camera V3 is as stable as possible. You know, we have a fully rewritten code base since V2. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I now use Camera 2, the low-level Android Camera API. I um, want to make sure that's like as solid as possible, as fast as possible, and working on pretty much every device. So that's why I need, you know, the community to give me feedback and to give me well-written, structured um, bug reports. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a goal for, I think, version 3.4, like a really <laughs> stable foundation. And then for V4, maybe, you know, Skia. But I don't know. I think other than that, Vision Camera can do everything that a camera can do as, you know, as of today. I mean, you've been working for it for how long? Uh, a few years by now? Yeah, I think, uh, what is it? Three years, maybe? Two or three years? Yeah. I think three years, so yeah. May so maybe it's, it's somewhat feature complete at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, people so people often underestimate how much time goes into it. I just I don't want to go into much detail here, but it's yeah. you know you're dealing with a hardware sensor, right? There's like 1.5 megabytes buffers going through the GPU, so you need to know about hardware stuff. You need to know about iOS native development, obviously. You need to know about GPU stuff, about memory allocations, about about performance, about you know. There's so many things that you need to worry about. Um, it touches on on you know cameras, lighting. ISO values, exposure, then OpenGL, graphics, drawing, rendering, 60 FPS versus 120 FPS, making sure it's synchronized, you know, locking, blah, blah, blah. Uh, zooming needs to be really quick. It's just a lot of stuff that you need to think about. Yeah, it, w it was interesting to see you in the stream jump from TypeScript to Objective-C to Kotlin. Uh, <laughs> I think like having these powers, it, it's kind of a superpower. I don't, I mean, if you want to develop React Native applications, you don't have to know about Kotlin and, and Swift or Objective-C to get started. Like you can still build great applications, but just having a bit of understanding about the APIs and then what's going on and not being scared to like get into some Swift or Kotlin can definitely be helpful uh, if you want to implement something challenging. Yeah, I mean, as always, the better you understand an abstraction, the better you are at using it, I guess. So this is an epic library and part of why you have time for it is probably that you also use it for your clients at Magello, I mm -hmm. just assume. Um, mm -hmm. What was probably the, the most impressive thing you did with Vision Camera at, at Magello, just to give like the listeners an, an idea of, of what's possible um, with Vision Camera? Um, so we did a few things with Vision Camera already. Um, I'm going to like not go into too much detail, but we did a... Um, document scanner with vision camera before so um, you just took a picture or in real time it detected a document laying on the on the you know on, on the table in front of you which could be an invoice uh, or some other document so it, it actually scanned that using a native api or a native plugin actually but it used all you know vision camera for it um, then we used vision camera for a face detector and um, filter api so we actually had like a pirate hat for example this is on our website margelo.io um, we have uh, a plugin um, with some other like it it does use a separate ren rendering layer so there's a there's a small difference here um, but it is based on vision camera and you actually have a pirate hat projected onto your head and it's in real time 60 fps you know everything is working as smooth as instagram or what's uh, instagram or, or snapchat um, 
so yeah, face filters, uh, document scanner. We also did like a 3D scanning app, which uses depth capture to scan your room into oh. a 3D model. Uh, nice. This also uses is based on vision camera, but it is um, a, a custom fork, which just uh, streams the depth data. This is not part of vision camera main right now, but it's not a lot of changes. So I think it's just like two more commits to just enable the depth capture streaming and synchronize it. Um, yeah, this before. is something we did. <laughs> Maybe before. <laughs> Um, and then what else did we do? Um, a VHS filter for a client where it's just, you know, like a VHS old school oh, yeah. recorder thing with uh, like overlay here, <laughs> uh, pic a bit pixelated and these like vertical lines and everything. So, yeah. uh, pretty cool filters. Um, and then, uh, what else? Yeah. Just some basic photo functionality, video functionality as always. Um, and, and, and then there's one cool app, which we did not work on, but I, I just, I'm talking to the guy, um, all the time. Um, his name is Manuel. They're working on what is it? Unbogify, I think. Is it? It's called. Uh, which is like a golf swing detector. So you put the phone in front of you. Uh, you do a golf swing. It records at 240 fps. Uses vision camera, um, and it tells you how well your golf swing was. So it uses analyzing models and everything. So it's pretty amazing what you can what you can build with a vision camera. Yeah, yeah. As I said already. Um it's just too awesome to not use it. I will have to think later today about use cases where, because I'm looking for a new side project and I like a lot of possibilities that you could do with a vision camera. So I don't know, something with slow motion or so because you're capturing so many frames should be possible mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. um, so interesting. Um, is, is this like the golf swing the, the most popular application or are there, uh, do you know about other popular applications using vision camera? Like so the problem King is or... the the, <laughs> the problem is that you know the the people or corporations who use vision camera often don't reach out to me um, to tell me you know we use vision camera in our app thank you for it they, they just don't reach out which kind of sucks because mm -hmm. I really want to know who uses vision camera um, I just know of a few so I know that Locket the you know app where you can see a picture of your partner on your home screen um, uses vision camera or used vision camera. I'm not sure if they still use it, but I just know that they did use it. Mm. Um, then this is actually pretty popular. So as I think Locket is a, is a, has many downloads. Uh, I know that Discord forked vision camera at some point. I don't know if they use vision camera <laughs> or are inspired by vision camera or use a fork of vision oh. camera in their app. I don't know, but they did fork it. Um, who else? Uh, Expensify is a pretty big app. It's open source. They use vision camera. Nice. Um, what else? Yeah, and Bogify. Um, I don't know about many other apps that, that use it. Um, I think I think you can see like the open source projects on GitHub. Um, if you open the like used by tab of Vision Camera, uh, I can just quickly tell you there's where's the number. Uh, used by. Never. Yeah, saw used that by tab. two two point four k open source repositories use Vision Camera. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so everyone else who's using it in open source, yeah, that's yeah. that's easy to track then. Yeah, but it's you know most of the apps aren't open source, nice. so it's just like test apps or some open source crypto apps actually use it. I saw that before, uh, but yeah. Yeah, um, that that's great. Um, I mean, it's epic. I'm gonna put it in the show links, and people who listen to this will. I swear they will see me on a stream using it uh, in the next couple of weeks when, <laughs> yeah. when I got time to figure it out. So the last thing I want to ask you uh, today, because we're really running out of time, you're, uh, I think I think the last episode I recorded was was the longest. Probably this one is now <laughs> the same length. Um, I found on GitHub, I'm, I'm the master detective of finding the small hints. Uh, on your GitHub sponsor page, 
the mm-hmm. last sentence uh, somewhere was uh, you will work on the upcoming wish list project so oh. what I- <laughs> yeah what is the upcoming wish list project is it the final solution to lists in react native or is it something completely different <laughs> Um, so I was actually about to do a announcement uh, or like a statement rather on public Twitter because lots of people are waiting for it. Um, wishlist is not the magical solution to lists, unfortunately, in React Native. <laughs> um, it is by design uh, or with current technology that we have not possible to build a magic solution for a asynchronous rendering framework. And React Native is an asynchronous rendering framework, same as texture Um or also called async display kit, or I don't know if Flutter is actually sync or async, but it is not possible to sync or to build a really fast recycling or visualization list um, using an async framework. So what you need to do is either use a template-based approach, which is what Wishlist is kind of doing, um, or kind of figure out how to render from two multiple from two threads at the same time, which is a very bad idea. Do not do this. This is why UIKit um, has limitations where you cannot access their UI APIs from a background thread. Uh, so only solution one is actually viable for an async renderer. You create templates, you tell the list how you can render this, and then the list renders it really, really fast using a template-based approach. The problem with this is, this is how Wishlist, wishlist works today. The problem with this is um, that you're very limited. You cannot use stuff like, I don't know, React Native Gesture Handler anymore. We have to write custom bindings for that. You cannot have use state in your items anymore. Okay. You have to lift the state up and then inject it into your data. This is actually a good performance recommendation anyway. So it's, I don't consider this a limitation because it's just better to not use use state in your list items, but instead lift it up to the data. Um, but again, you know, you're, you're pretty limited there. So it is unfortunately not a magical uh, solution or perfect solution for everything. It is a good solution for when you can use template approaches. Um, because again, you know, the templates appro- uh, approach with li- simpler list components, you know, you're not like rendering really advanced stuff in, in your, in your list components. Um, then it is a good solution and it's fast. It's as fast as native, I would say. So it's really like, it's insanely fast. And um, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I don't know a lot about wishlist yet, but in how far is it different from like flatlist and flashlist? Because I thought flashlist was already the solution to have performance lists. Yeah, and also flashlist is a very good solution, um, but it still uses the asynchronous rendering approach, right? So you have your view, you render it, and then it sometimes at a later point goes to the UI thread where it gets rendered. Um, wishlist is a new native list component because Fun fact, all of the lists that we currently have in React Native are one single native component. They're all based on RCT um, scroll view. And then derived from that is virtualized list. Derived from virtualized list is flat list. And then derived from, I think, flat list or virtualized list is flash list again. Uh, and recycler list view is also derived from virtualized list. So it's all just using RCT scroll view. There's no other native component. All of the magic is happening in JavaScript. So wishlist is a fully new native component um, where the, all the virtualization and recycling is happening in yoga in C++, you know, with the, we're dealing with the shadow nodes and everything. Um, so in theory, it should also be faster there because we're just, we're at the single source of truth of our layouts. But again, it is just very limiting. So that's the only reason why we haven't published it yet is because we have so many limits here. We don't, you can't really use use state or anything. It's all just work that's rendering your templates. Will, will you still publish it or will you keep it internally at Magello? Um, I might publish it soon. 
Maybe. Okay. 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 That's an answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so we will be looking out for a statement at Magello or at your account. Um, that's a nice place to wrap up. So uh, where can people find out more about you and your uh, work? Um, a good place to, to follow me is Twitter. So on Twitter at M Rosavi. Um, you can you can follow me. I tweet random stuff there, tweet updates about libraries, I tweet some random fun facts and performance tips and everything. So if you don't follow me on Twitter, follow me now. Also follow Margelo at Margelo underscore IO on Twitter. Um, and yeah, I think those are the two places where we tweet really interesting content. Awesome. Yeah, I will. I just followed Magello as well. So thanks for uh, taking the time today and explaining your packages. And of course, thanks for creating them in the first place. Um, you will definitely see me put them to use uh, over the next time. If you want to uh, check out more about me and perhaps learn the basics before we get into React Native Vision Camera, check out galaxies.dev where I have tons of courses on learning React Native. And once you get the basics right, uh, you can dive into MMKV, which is actually part of one of the courses, I think, because I really enjoyed it with Sustan um, and, of course, React Native Vision Camera. So thanks again, Mark, uh, and hope to catch you again in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me. And let me know when you do those streams or, or, or episodes. I want to maybe join there and give some tips about vision cameras usage. <laughs> thanks, I will do. Thanks. Bye. Ciao.